0: Hello everyone, Tyler Swanson here, host of the Bipartisan Podcast and founder of the Bipartisan Post. Before we get started with this episode, I would like to say thank you for your support and for listening to the Bipartisan Podcast every week. We truly, truly appreciate it. We at the Bipartisan Post are committed to providing listeners with quality discussions that provide a unique perspective on divisive issues by showcasing the bipartisan lens. These times are some of the most divided in recent history, and we could use your support in spreading the message of bipartisanship throughout the country. To help us out, you can visit our Patreon, which is linked in the episode description and on the For just $3 a month, patrons will receive a shout out on the podcast website, and P- will be given access to the Bipartisan Post Discord to chat with members of our team and other members of the community. You can donate just once or make it recurring to continue your support. Thanks again and enjoy the show.
1: Lost in the whirlwind of Harvard Academia. This is the Bipartisan Podcast. We
0: Hello and welcome to the Bipartisan Podcast. I'm your host Tyler Swanson. I'm Luke Webster. I'm Nathan DeFlaw. I'm Will Schrefferman. And today we have a fun episode. And Will, you are going to take the reins, so I will hand it right over to you, sir.
2: Enjoy. Absolutely. So it has been one of the more interesting political weeks um, of the last few years. That's for that's for certain. Um, and usually with the, the way these episodes work is people pay a little bit of attention to politics, but we like to give a little bit of background into, into you know what happened in the last week and what we're gonna be talking about. Um, but I think literally everybody um, has been plugged in to what's been happening in the last week. And I think at least everybody can name more counties in Nevada and Pennsylvania um, than they could 10 days ago. That's for sure. Um, so it's gonna be less of a deep dive into the news and more of, a, more of an episode where we get people's takes um, on the future, on what's happened, because really the whole country right now has a pretty shared basis of knowledge of what went down in the last week. But just just to reiterate for posterity's sake, um, Tuesday was election day, but because of the nature of mail-in ballots and the way that states counted them, it turned into more of election week. Um, and in a lot of states like Pennsylvania and Georgia, for example, You know, when the election day votes were cast, a lot of it seemed to be in favor of Donald Trump, but then as they started to count the mail-in ballots that were totally legally cast, counted before or received before election today, just counted after, the states shifted um, to Joe Biden, and by Friday, enough of those battleground states had enough of a margin for Joe Biden that it was pretty clear who was going to win, and on Saturday morning, um, in the wee hours of the morning, um, most major news organizations, including the Associated Press called the election for Joe Biden. And it looks like he will win um, with around 300 electoral votes, um, a pretty wide margin around what Trump had in one with in 2016. And he's right now ahead by 5 million votes in the popular vote. Um, and you know, Trump has not taken it well. I don't think anybody expected him to, but he has been retweeting conspiracy theories, claiming that the election has been stolen, um, bringing a ton of court cases most of which have been rejected outright. Um, but for for all intents and purposes, Biden is the winner. We talked about this on, on Friday, once it became become pretty clear. I think Luke, Nathan was not there, but Luke at least agreed, even as a Republican, that it was pretty much well and over. Um, so we're not really here to obviously debate that point. But the first topic I wanna to bring up is, Joe Biden may have been presum- presumably elected president, but he's not sworn in until January 20th on Inauguration Day. Um, and for the next sixty days, Trump will remain in office, and you kind of—you kind of already saw what this, I guess you could call it, late-stage Trump, looks like um, in his firing of Secretary of Defense Mark Esper. Um, but my first—I guess the first topic I want to touch on is what the heck is going to happen with Trump in the next sixty days, and what—what um, what are we going to see, and what are you looking out for?
3: Well, so I, I guess on your premise, Will, if you're, if you're asking me, you know, is Trump going to have a coup? Is Trump going to destroy the government? Is Trump going to ruin our democracy? I'm going to say no. Um, I think that you've, seen that you've seen that propagated by a lot of people. You know, will the military have to get involved? And I, I genuinely don't think so. Um, I think that what you're going to see um, is you're going to see Trump eventually lose the majority of the cases or win them. I, I figure he'll lose. Um, and I think that you'll see him call for something along the lines of you know, widespread, uh, some sort of federal guideline, as far as um, mail-in balloting goes. So maybe they count them early. Maybe it has to be counted at election day for everybody. Um, and then I think you'll see um, eventually, once there's an outcome, you're gonna see him see uh, you know, power. I don't think you're gonna see the, uh, the long handwritten notes like you have from uh, Bill Clinton to George Bush, to George Bush, to Barack Obama, to Obama, to Trump. Uh, I don't think Trump's that kind of guy. Um, but I mean I think you're gonna see that I um, uh, the Senate is not or the Senate and the House are not supposed to be in session I don't think they will be so I don't think any real like, business will get done but um, honestly I, I think this election wasn't the worst imaginable possible situation I think it what, what the projections were giving it's it's decent for um, Republicans uh, we are probably going to retain depending on Georgia the Senate um, we gained about you know, I think it was 10 to 15 on election night, it might be a little bit less uh, seats in the House, um, and, and Biden won the presidency. And so I think that things look pretty good for Republicans of 22 and 24. Um, but, you know, I don't think that um, you're going to hear much about, you know, Trump in, in, in four to five years. And I don't think that you're going to be, um, I don't think you need to be worried about him not leaving office if that was the, the main crooks.
1: Yeah, I
0: like a lot of what you said there, Nathan. If I could just add on the election election day, election week was honestly it wasn't the best case scenario for the Republican Party, but it was it was far from the worst case scenario. Being able to retain the Senate, pick up House seats, and even still field a very close uh, election and beat a lot of the polls, which predicted you know President Trump losing a lot of those states he won, potentially losing you know Texas and Florida, which he held on he held on to, potentially losing North Carolina, which he held on to as well. It was still a very good outing for Republicans. And I think if you had any president other than Trump in, in terms of personality, I think Republicans would still be, you know, counting this as a, as a pretty big win going into, you know, the transition where you will now have a democratically controlled house, a Republican controlled Senate and Democratic president, and a pretty centrist and willing to uh, work across the aisle Democratic president as, at that. Um, in terms of what we're going to see next, uh, I, I think it'll probably be Be maybe a week until we see, uh, you know, maybe a full concession in terms of maybe not Trump outright conceding and giving a a concession speech, but maybe we'll see the General Services Administration finally uh, give funds to the Biden campaign to start, uh, you know, funding their transition. And we'll start to see more of, you know, the actual transition stuff take place. In terms of legislation, Probably won't see anything. I'd like to see possibly just some lame duck relief for COVID because it's getting it's it's getting a lot worse. It's been uh, been getting a lot worse over these past couple of weeks, and uh, it's it's just I think going to get worse as we go into the the Christmas and the holidays and into January as well. So I'd like to see you know Congress take some form of responsibility on that. I'd like to see the Trump um, you know President Trump maybe try to leave some legacy in, in doing something good for COVID relief on his way out, um, although. I'm not expecting it, I think we'll probably see the president play a lot of golf which you know that's fine he's a lame duck president he's got 60 days left. That's uh, that's fine with me, but I, I'm hoping this will be a pretty quiet uh, next couple months in terms of scandal and you know controversy and those sorts of things.
2: That yeah that's absolutely fair I did I was waiting to see if Luke wanted to weigh in um
1: yeah. I didn't, I don't have anything necessarily to say this week that I didn't already say last week. Um, so that I was just trying to let Nathan kind of take uh, his,
2: his stand there. Yep, absolutely. And, and, you know, speaking of somewhere else where people will be taking a stand, um, I'm going to try to turn this into a segue, both political parties will be taking a huge stand in Georgia. Um, on January 5th. So how we got here is the fact that in Georgia for statewide offices, if a candidate does not have a majority of the vote, that is to say over 50%, um, then the the race goes to a runoff with the two candidates that got the highest um, percent, but obviously not over 50, either of them. And in Georgia this year, there was both the normal Senate election. where David Perdue, a Republican incumbent senator, his term is up um, and he's running for reelection on a normal cycle. But another um, instance where Jeff Sessions, um, Trump's former attorney general, his appointment resulted in the fact that there's now a a special election um, in the Georgia Senate this year. And for the Georgia regular election, that is David Perdue versus John Ossoff, the Democrat, and neither of them got above 50% of the vote. It's looking like um, Purdue will come in with around 48, 49%. So high, higher than Ossoff, but not quite 50. And that will go to a runoff. Um, and then the special election, there were two prominent Republicans running in it, Kelly Loeffler, um, who has been appointed by the governor to fill the seat, and Doug Collins, you know, a very tr- pro-Trump Republican Um, And then the Democrat Raphael Warnock, um, the reverend actually from the church where Martin Luther King preached, um, is the Democrat running for that seat. And obviously three candidates running, none of them got above 50 percent. The two Republicans kind of split the Republican vote, the Democrat got a a little bit around I think 42 or 43 the last time I'd looked. Um, And then Kelly Loeffler got more votes than Doug Collins, so there will be a runoff between Loeffler and Warnock, um, along with the race between Ossoff and Perdue on January 5th. So that's kind of the the little bit of a, it's a little bit complicated, but that's how we got here. We have two Senate races in Georgia, and it just so happens that with the way the Senate map worked out this year, the Senate is currently, um, these two seats will decide the fate of the Senate and who will have a majority. If Republicans win even one of these seats, they'll have the majority. Democrats have to win both in order for the Senate to go 50 to 50, Split, which would be broken by a vice president Kamala Harris as the tiebreaker. So, everything hinges on Georgia for the Senate. You know the difference between Biden being able to pass progressive Democratic policies in the Senate versus Mitch McConnell's legislative graveyard um, coming back with a vengeance. You know it all. It all hinges on Georgia. So I I believe we were talking amongst ourselves today, and it sounds like some of us might even be going to Georgia to campaign. There will certainly be a lot of money um, going to Georgia. so that's that's the next thing I want to talk about is. What do you expect to happen? Um, what's your view of the candidates, and what do you think? You know, it's hard to understate the potential of this race to reshape the next few years. But what do you think? You know, is going on that maybe you know the the mainstream narrative isn't picking up on. Uh, I'll
0: take this one first. So I was. Uh, really interested to watch Georgia in the election. It was one of those races where one of the states where I, I thought you definitely saw the potential for it to go blue, which it's looking like it has. And uh, I was thinking that, you know, we might see some flip seats outright. Of course, we haven't got that. We're going to go to a runoff. So am I am I thinking that Democrats are going to win both of these seats and take back the Senate? No, I honestly think Republicans will win both because uh, I think the reason... Democrats are won uh, Georgia in terms of the presidential race in the first place, which is because of ticket splitting. Uh, I, I just think it was more of a repudiation of Trump in Georgia rather than a repudiation of the Republican Party as a whole. So I expect uh, Purdue and, as, is it Loeffler that's running for the Senate against Warnock? Yeah, technically
2: point? Loeffler's the incumbent, but okay, yes.
0: Yes, so I, I expect both of them to, to hold those seats and I I don't see anything too crazy going down there. Of course, the money flowing in uh, will be, you know, enormous, and it's going to be an interesting political spectacle to watch, Uh, but I don't see anything major happening. I don't know if any of you all do. Well, I think as far as the Republican Party
3: goes, it's absolutely essential um, that you do keep these seats. Um, These seats could be the difference in, you know, going from nine justices to 11, or, you know, getting rid of the Senate filibuster, or even, you know, passing another Obamacare expansion, or a huge Medicaid expansion, or a Green New Deal. I mean, there's any number of things um, that that a unified Democrat Party in office and control could pass uh, things, which maybe you guys listen to say that, man, that sounds pretty decent. But as Republicans, we're like, oh, no, that's, that's not good. Um, you know, I think it, I think it kind of sucks that a uh, uh, Purdue didn't, didn't get the 50%. He was at like 90, 49.75% of the vote. Um, that would have saved a lot of, a lot of, um, efforts for this, for this January, what the RNC and the DNC are going to end up pouring in. Um, but you know, I think that, um, it's clear that the split tickets were a repudiation of Trump. Um, I still think that the Republican party is pretty strong in Georgia. Um, but, you know, I, it, it's something that I've heard from several prominent figures on the right that, you know, Trumpism without Trump is a winning strategy, that that populist appeal, that um, going after the middle-class worker and um, really, you know, protecting that manufacturing or protecting that um, U.S. interests in the foreign trade uh, without the, the fact that Trump is there, you know, reminding you that um, tr- he's in the White House without him, you know, mentioning that, uh, you know, you see him tweet something crazy. Uh, I, I think it's I think it's a good pitch, and I don't think that Democrats have nearly as much to go out on as Republicans. I think the reason you saw record turnout in Georgia is because, you know, Trump was on the ballot, um, and so I think that you'll see the Republicans win these seats, uh, both Lawler's and Purdue's. But um, you can't take anything for granted, and so that, I think that's why you're going to see both parties spend a lot, a lot of money in them.
2: Yeah, I was I was interested to get your take um, because I feel like. You guys might have been tracking it a little bit closer than me, but it seems like both Tyler and Nathan agree that these seats are likely to remain in Republican hands. So so something I want to ask quickly before moving on to the next topic is, you know, in a world come January 20th where there is a Biden administration and Republican Senate, um, I for one hope that it isn't, you know, a repeat of the last couple of years of the Obama presidency where simply nothing got passed or even voted on in the Republican Senate. So do you think it's possible that there would be compromise? And I guess name name one policy or item that you would like to see compromise between Biden administration, Republican Senate, and a narrow Democratic majority in the House. Luke, you can take this one since you so, didn't get to answer last time. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, um, you know, one thing I really hope to see get passed is some coronavirus relief. I mean, that's just been sitting there because the House, House Democrats led by Nancy Pelosi who want you know, this huge bill and you have uh huge Comical in the Senate, Republicans who want a huge bill, but it's slightly less huge and uh, they're at a complete impasse. And I just, I hope that's on their list of priorities to kind of bury that ax, so to speech, because I mean, quite honestly, like people are hurting and, you know, we have people, we have de- ugh, ugh, gridlock, sorry, I don't know what came over me there. gridlock uh, up at up in Congress and it's just not getting passed. So I just really hope that that's like kind of like their first thing that they really wanna do. After that, I really don't know, you know, I think, it, it will probably be closer to the last few years of the Obama administration, just because um, of Mitch McConnell being in charge. But um, I think it, that that being said, I think that you know if Republicans holding the Senate could serve as an important check on, you know, a Joe Biden administration and a Democratic I mean, House. <laughs> uh, this is gonna sound bad.
3: I'm oh, sorry. It's Go going ahead. to sound bad, but I absolutely hope that it's a legislative graveyard. I think that you're going to see Democrats pass all the priorities that were on the campaign trail. I think you're going to see um, Vice President Biden, now President-elect Biden. I think you're going to see him being pushed very hard to push for a lot of things that um, would definitely be more ra- radical. And um, I think you're going to see them try not to try to pick issues that Republicans aren't necessarily going to work with. That way you can really just, you know, demonize them and, and get them on your side for stuff. I think that last time I checked coronavirus stuff, it was several months ago, but, you know, uh, House Democrats were sitting at a $3 trillion relief package. House Republicans were sitting on $1 trillion. They didn't want to budge on it. Um, I think you're going to see them budge on issues like that. I think you're going to see uh, the Senate on a lot of spending stuff, um, but I, I don't think you're going to see a whole lot of policy-wise, whether it be, um, you know, climate change or racial justice or a lot of those things that were very, very hot button issues for several um, of the Democrat candidates. I don't think you're going to see a whole lot of movement of the needle on those issues,
0: at least with a the, with the split legislative body. I'm going to disagree with you a little bit on that, Nathan. And I, I think you could kind of see that coming from me. Um, but I, I do think the first thing we'll see from this uh, Congress will be uh, coronavirus relief. I think Joe Biden, you know, he's he really had the big tent in the election, in the sense that he was able to win over progressives, he was able to win over moderates, and even some Republicans. So he was able to build, you know, a, a pretty big tent for his uh, for his party, for his coalition. And I think he's going to govern with that as well. I think he's going to be a much less uh, radical. Of course, he's going to face a lot of pressure from uh, the squad, you know, in the House and some other progressive Democrats to really push the envelope on on legislation and try to de- uh, demonize the Republican Party, as you kind of uh, said in your, in your remarks there, Nathan. But I do think what you'll see is Joe Biden will be willing to get to work. Um, it, it, might, it might take a little while and it'll definitely take a lot of compromise. Uh, a lot of him working with uh, Majority Leader McConnell but I, I do see work being done. I don't know what the COVID relief will look like. I, I do think it will come though, probably within you know, the first month or so of his presidency. And then I, what I personally really, really like to see uh, is some action on climate. And I do think a carbon pricing system or something along that maybe cap and trade is possible. You've seen um, in the past couple of years, both uh, Democrats and Republicans alike uh, publish carbon pricing bills. Uh, and put them in the House. I think there might have been a a couple in the Senate as well. And you've also seen uh, senators such as Lisa Murkowski in Alaska, um, you know, be willing to work on climate. So I I think there is places where compromise can be made. Um, You might see something similar to the Obama era, you know, cash for clunkers get revived. There is a bill for that in the Senate that uh, Majority Leader Schumer has written with United Auto Workers Union, in which uh, Joe Biden endorsed in his climate change plan. You may see something like that. Um, so I, I would say there is there will be work done. It might it will definitely not be to the extent of which progressives and and leftists want, but that's you know generally not what we need right now either. What we need is you know our our parties to come together and actually do something productive in Washington, rather than just let bills die and rot in the legislative graveyard.
2: Yeah, uh, that's a that's a good point, Tyler. And kind of striking the middle path between Nathan saying that nothing will get done and Tyler saying that oh maybe something will get done. I think that one thing, um, Tyler, or I mean Luke and Nathan, that you can both agree on is that Joe Biden needs a cabinet. And I mean Nathan, correct me if I'm wrong, but there's not a world where Republicans and Mitch McConnell stall to the point of not confirming cabinet secretaries for Biden. Am I am I wrong?
3: Um, yeah, I don't. I don't see a major stalling of cabinet secretaries. I think you'll see. Um, I, I think people who are who are kind of that Obama era, or that Clinton era uh, holdover. I think you'll see them approved pretty easily, and you'll probably see more than, you know, sixty votes for them. But as far as um, some of the more, if, if there's more radical choices, there's more, you know, outspoken people with, uh, as, as Republicans might say, a checkered past, uh, people who have supported very. Um, very very radical thing and just radical as far as like if you put aoc as your epa director that probably won't get approved um but i think that if as long as they're reasonable picks i don't think that mitch mcconnell is going to stall very bad on the cabinet not any more than um what happened under um oh goodness uh obama's first term
2: yeah that's fair so I, I mean i'm glad you gave me that take because that feeds into what i was going to say to answer my own question about what i would see out of a, a Republican Senate Biden administration is definitely lots of technocratic, under the radar, high quality cabinet picks. Um for example, Secretary Ernie Meniz, um from the he was Obama's secretary of energy, huge supporter of nuclear energy, which I think is understated in the fight against climate change. Very technocratic. He's a nuclear physicist, one of my one of my favorite um Cabinet secretaries in the past few years. He's been in the running potentially for an energy secretary position. Lail Brainerd out of the Fedor- she's the governor of the Federal Reserve um, for Treasury. And then Susan Rice, who's one of my absolute favorite um, foreign policy brains um in the you know in in the world right now, um, as as a pick for secretary of state. You know, I, I think getting people like that who have experience, who are technocratic, who are wonks, um and Cabinet policy positions will be something that we need, you know, to implement um, a lot of this COVID relief and stuff that will be happening a little bit under the radar. But that's something I kind of have my eye on a little bit. Um, Luke, I see you've unmuted yourself. uh, If you have have a thought, yeah, yes.
1: Um, To add to your point, Will, I've I've heard some chatter that uh, you know, just in the realm of politics, that Joe Biden is eyeing several like former Obama uh, appointees. To ask them to come back into public service. So there's the potential you could actually see, like, you know, so several familiar cases from within the Obama administration come back.
2: Right. No, I, I think that's absolutely a possibility. And yeah, two of the people I named, Susan Rice and Ernie Moniz, were already Obama administration um, public servants. Um, so absolutely. Um, so yeah, I that's, to what, that's what sparked my thought. Totally. Um, So I want to move on to to the last question I have for everybody. You know, we kind of it's not today is not the day the president changes, but it's definitely an inflection point um, as we shift to a new administration. So I just wanted to take a quick second to ask the two conservatives on the podcast um, to kind of look forward a little bit and name one thing you're each excited about in a potential Biden administration and then Tyler, I'll ask yourself and myself to look backwards and name what, if anything, um, we will miss about a Trump administration. So we can go Nathan and Luke and then Tyler and I.
3: Yeah,
2: yeah. So if I'm choosing things
3: I'm looking forward to for a Biden administration, um, I think I'll look forward to the fact that it'll probably be a little bit more predictable uh, than a Trump administration, at least. Um, you won't have to uh, re-memorize all the secretary's names. And I say that very tongue in cheek. But um, I think I'm looking forward to, um, uh, you know, a big a big coronavirus relief package. I think that's been something that's long overdue. I think it's going to happen under the Biden administration. I and mean, so I'm just gonna be very interested to see that. Also, um, I'm going to be interested to see what they do on the world stage with China. So as far as how the Biden administration's policy is going to differ with China, because um, I think that um, in the past year or so, uh, both parties have really kind of united on that front as far as seeing China as, um, you know, kind of maybe even a bad actor on the world stage. Um, and so I'm interested to see, you know, how exactly the Biden administration handles that. Uh, and that's something I'm going to look forward to.
0: Yeah, I'm next, right?
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, all you can be. Uh,
0: okay, I, I... Oh, yeah. It was, it was Luke. Yeah, you're the conservative. I'm sorry. My bad. Go ahead, Luke.
1: Um, you know, I, I'm going to agree with it and I really look forward to there being a uh, coronavirus relief package. Um, But, you know, something else I kind of look forward to is just um, hopefully seeing some more bipartisanship. Uh, I think that you know of all the different democrats that ran for the nomination i think that joe biden is probably the most likely to you know embody the spirit of the bipartisan post and try to reach across the aisle a little bit uh so i'm hoping that that is going to be something that we see a little bit more of yeah i really like to hear that from
0: both you guys i think uh going on thinking about something that i'm gonna miss but i as a, as a democrat what i will definitely miss is seeing some form of unity within the democratic party i mean for the past four years the the party you know has basically been held together by the threads of hating donald trump which is not necessarily any strong glue whatsoever to build a coalition within a party just hating somebody and wanting somebody out um, but i think as soon as joe biden is inaugurated in january you're going to see the progressive wing of the party become much more aggressive in taking on centrist Democrats. You'll see a lot more party infighting than you did, even when, even the primaries, when, you know, Bernie Sanders was running against Joe Biden and, and those sorts of things. It's gonna be, I think Joe Biden will have to struggle uh, with fighting on two fronts, with fighting the left wing of his party and also fighting, you know, Republicans. So I'm, I'm gonna miss seeing at least some semblance of unity from from the left. Um, Probably the most, that's, that's what I'm gonna go with.
2: Yeah, and I guess I'll, I'll conclude. Um, this, is, this is kind of a tough one because there are, I think you can count on one hand the amount of times I've actually agreed with a Trump policy proposal, and you can count in absolutely zero fingers um, the amount of times I've agreed with Trump's rhetoric or the way he says anything or his style. Um, But one thing, one thing I will miss, and this is this is coming with a massive caveat that I think it's something he massively overstated. um, But I think one policy that the Trump administration genuinely got right a lot of the time was bipartisan criminal justice reform, um, which is obviously something that is, you know, it's very difficult. It's very easy to you know to propose sweeping reforms to the system that would that would revolutionize it entirely. Um, But you know a an evidence-based approach to reducing, you know, federal drug incarceration in this country is not an easy thing to do. So I have to do have to give them credit for shepherding through the First Step Act um, in 2018 in Congress. So I think, I think that's maybe one example of a very few of something I would miss from a, from a Trump administration. But I, yeah, I, I do fully agree, Nathan, um, with your point in particular about, you know, just being a more predictable, Administration, and I don't think there's necessarily anything bad with kind of the sleepy Joe um, administration. You know, politics can be boring; it can be technocratic again, and less all-caps Twitter um, is something I think we can all get behind. Um, but yeah, that's all I got. I'll hand it back to you, Tyler, just to, to see us off.
0: Yeah, thank you very much for hosting, Will, and uh, it was very good to to hear all our perspectives on this. I'm glad we were able to, you know, have a good discussion in a time when things are very controversial and there's a, a lot of, you know, uh, celebration, but also uh, fear, anger and sorrow and on both sides of the spectrum in, in American politics. I also want to thank the viewers for listening. Uh, the job that we do here at the Bipartisan Post is by no means done. Um, now that we have a new president, you know, we are a nation that will always have political divides and it seems that that will not stop whatsoever and it may only intensify over the next couple of years so we will remain here, bringing you a podcast every week to have a good bipartisan discussion about the news, about current events, to provide you some solace from the endless partisan news sources. Make sure to also check out the bipartisanpost.com. We're always putting up new articles. Uh, I will probably be putting one up within the next week or so on the, on the Biden-Harris COVID plan, now that it will be something that we'll probably see action on in the next couple of months. Uh, so, be on the lookout for that. And then also check out our Patreon, which you can find a link to on the bipartisanpost.com, and you can help support the show. Thank you very much, and we will see you next week. Have a great week.